0: Because this culture desperately needs authentic Christianity that's truly transformed. And they are not impressed by shallow Christianity. They're not mm-hmm. impressed by all of this. And we will never change the world by this, because we ourselves aren't changed. But if we're changed, we can show radical forgiveness, radical love, radical acceptance, yet also ourselves radically transformed. It's a powerful thing. I believe. I still believe in it. I believe it's very possible. I don't believe the world can ever spin too fast for us to walk with the Lord.
1: And it's watering time. It's time for Apollos Watered, a podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today, we're having another one of our Deep Conversations, a deep conversation with seminary president, scholar, missiologist, and author Timothy Tennant. You know, I don't know about you, but every time I go online or I see a video of some sort or I, I hear some type of news clip, I inevitably hear this. I am not what my body is. You know, I've, I've heard other people say, why do you Christians care about what goes on in the bedroom? Just leave it alone. God does. God's okay with that. I mean, really, is he? Why else would the Bible talk about sexuality so much? And why do so many unbelievers today, and even so many believers, have such a difficult time reconciling what the Bible says and what seems to be going on in the culture right now? I believe it's because we have an improper understanding or theology of our bodies. I mean, are we souls that have bodies? Is there a design for it? Or is there something more entirely? What place does it really have in our understanding in our, our theology? I mean our bodies. What what place does it have? And what difference does that make in regards to all of the aforementioned subjects? I mean, think about homosexuality, gender reassignment surgery, abortion, euthanasia, or eating disorders. What do all of these subjects have in common and how do they affect our body and how do we understand that from a Christian perspective? That's what we're going to be talking about today. And today on Apollos Watered, we have as a special guest, Dr. Timothy C. Tennant, who has served as the president of Asbury Theological Seminary and professor of world Christianity since 2009. He is a frequent conference speaker around the country and throughout the world. Prior to his coming to Asbury, Dr. Tennant was the professor of world missions and Indian studies at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He is ordained in the United Methodist Church, and that was done in 1984, and he has pastored churches in Georgia and in several of the largest churches in New England. Since 1989, he has taught annually as an adjunct professor at the New Theological College in Dehradun, India. He is the author of numerous books and articles, and they include Building Christi- Christianity on Indian Foundations, Christianity at the Religious Roundtable, Theology in the Context of World Christianity, and Invitation to World Mission, a Trinitarian missiology for the 21st century, and his most recent book, For the Body, Recovering a Theology of Gender, Sexuality, and the Human Body. Dr. Tennant and his wife, Julie, reside in Wilmore, Kentucky. They have two grown children, Jonathan and Bethany. And I wanted him to come on the show to be able to talk about this subject because I believe that we have a very anemic understanding of the body. And that is what we're going to talk about today. How can we can recover a theology of the body? Happy listening. Tim Tennant! Welcome to Apollos Watered! Hey, Travis. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to have you on the show, but here we go. We have our Fast Five. Are you ready? I am ready for the Fast Five. Bring them on. Okay, here we go. You are in Kentucky, but you're from Georgia. So here's the question. University of Kentucky or the University of Georgia? University of Kentucky. They know how to throw a basketball. <laughs> okay okay how about this one you are also a missiologist strangest or weirdest food you have ever eaten the strain was a live
0: octopus which you're required to swallow whole in korea yes it went down my throat live
1: the whole thing or just the tentacle little,
0: The octopus and they it's served live and you take it it's a little baby octopus and you swallow it whole and the the uh, phalanges are squirming as they go down your throat it's quite an experience <laughs> India, oh. India couldn't match it I love I love Indian food but this was this was a Korean experience
1: and okay
0: it's raw it's a raw thing
1: too <laughs> ah. all right here we go you did your doctoral work at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland right that's right okay can you do a Scottish accent
0: oh uh, we we blimey so. me so me soon for your honest sunsy face great of the race. yeah don't know how to Ask for haggis there.
1: <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's so good. I like it. Oh, I love it when people can do a good Scottish accent. That's good. Okay, here we go. What is one of the perks that you enjoy is being the president of an evangelical seminary?
0: Well, they provide a beautiful home for you to live in. I live in the presidential home, and so people often come to it and say, "Wow, uh, what an amazing house!" And we say, "Well, we're uh, we're like you know renters here. We just you know, we get to live here, but yeah, we get a nice, beautiful home to live in."
1: So this is not part of the fast five, but just because you have all your books, Timothy Timothy C. Tennant, do you ever tell people after you've been president that the C stand for chief?
0: <laughs> not you have a good idea. <laughs> never okay. okay, here we go. If you were amazed, I just, uh, this is I just tell this not Stanford for doesn't stand for Calvinist. That's the, that's the one thing. I <laughs> Other than that, I hadn't thought of the positive. <laughs> opportunity.
1: What does the C stand for?
0: It stands for Craig.
1: Oh, Timothy Craig. What okay,
0: what is that? Oh yeah, it tells you a lot, doesn't it? <laughs>
1: I don't know what it tells me, but it tells me something. Okay, here we go. If you were a make and model of a car, what would it be and why?
0: If I was a make and model of a car, I don't know, probably a Ford Explorer.
1: Uh,
0: I know kind of like, you know, functional, but uh, you know, not have a little class to it, but not, um, not too fancy. Nice. I'm, I'm just kind of a,
1: I'm a workhorse. I'm, I'm, there we I'm, I'm like go. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I really like that. It's a great description. I love that. Okay, here we go. So tell us a bit about your story. You're a very an eclectic guy. I mean, you're from Georgia. You've gone to school at Princeton. You've studied Hinduism. You've studied Islam. I mean, just reading your bio, it's like, this guy's been all over the place. Tell us a bit about who Dr. Timothy C. Craig, Timothy Craig Tennant is. Well,
0: I uh, I was born in Georgia, and uh, very early on, I, I happened to grow up in a, in a exclusively Jewish neighborhood in Atlanta. I was the only Gentile in the neighborhood. Wow! And so uh, they called me Goyim. You know, I was like the local, you know, Gentile boy. But I, I guess I, from the very beginning, I was formed by by what it was like to be an other. You know, someone mm-hmm. other than the surrounding communities. So I was a minority in my community, of course, and went to an all Jewish school and took Jewish girls to the prom and so forth, because that, that's, that was my life. And so I had a real interest in learning about the world, about other people. And um, the Lord opened up a lot of wonderful doors to, to work and serve in India. I have a great love for India, especially North India. And so uh, that opened up a lot of doors for me. So that brought me into kind of the field of, of missions and uh, of thinking about things cross-culturally and uh, that led me through my, my life. I never actually uh, thought about my career like, as a, like a plan to do anything. I, I was a pastor and I was going to be a pastor until I died. But then things opened up and exploded. Uh, exploded Next time now, I was in Nigeria, you know, and, and one after another, I needed another degree. I go back to school. So things kept happening. And I actually said to someone recently I know it sounds bizarre to say this, but I've actually never in my life applied for a job
1: wow never
0: applied for a job in my life every job came to me and i realized oh i guess this is the next step so you know i wasn't gonna be at gordon conwell until i died i never dreamed i'd be at asbury but things just come up came along and uh next thing i know i'm answering the call of god so i I, i'd love to say it had some big you know plan there was no plan it all just kind of unfolded haphazard way and
1: here i am (laughs) So, okay, so you've you've gone to, you did a PhD in non-Western Christianity at the University of Edinburgh, but yet you did a THM in Islam, is that right, in ecumenics? I I was going to say your rhythmics, but that's not right, it's ecumenics.
0: (laughs) Well, I was actually, I was working in India already before I went to Princeton, and I had a real burden for what could be done in universities in in, uh, in, uh, Africa. So the organization IICS, it's now called Global Scholars, International mm-hmm. Institute of Christian Studies in those days, uh, Daryl McCarthy, they contacted me and said, would you be interested in uh, teaching uh, in Africa? And so when I did another, uh, going to Nigeria, and I wanted to learn more about African Islam. So the whole thing at Princeton was to learn about African Islam. But uh, later when that kind of all blew up and I ended up back in the US, um, I, my real heart was always in India, so I decided on the doctoral level to pursue Hinduism and try to better understand why the church had, had so many problems uh, propagating in India. What were the barriers? And that got me into missiology, and I had a wonderful opportunity to study in Scotland. So um, we were there for three years, had a great time. That's that's when I came to Gordon Conwell. After that,
1: you know, you've got such an education in such an eclectic background, and yet you've your most recent book for the bodies is a bit. It's it's different from what you've done in the past. I mean, you've written on holiness, you've written on world missions, you've you've written on a lot of different things. But this is a, a book uh, that is is a, is not necessarily missiology in the classical sense of it. Although I think it's equipping the church for language and a theology to embrace and accomplish the the mission of Christ in this world. But tell us a bit about the impetus behind this book for the body, and it's not talking about for the body of Christ as much as it is our our actual physical bodies and why we need to pay attention and have a theology of the body. But talk to uh, talk to us a bit about the impetus behind it and why you wrote this book and what's in it.
0: Yeah, Travis, thank you. That that book uh, was a little bit of a surprise, and since it wasn't my normal kind of writing uh, space, as you know, I'm, I'm a missiologist. But as you know, uh, missions is about connecting text with context, and so in mm-hmm. some ways, it's a little like Leslie Newbegin. I'm trying to understand how to be a better uh communicator of the gospel to the Western world. And right now, one of the biggest issues has to do with the body, a particular gender reassignment and some of the challenges with with our own bodily identity. So my just surveying the evangelical church, uh, and this is not to be, cr- be critical, I think it's what always happens when these things come up at first, is that I basically found that we hear a lot about what Christians are against, but we don't really hear what we're for. And I think a lot of the people in the culture uh, seem to, be, to know we're against a lot of things. They don't really know what is, the, what is the grand vision that we're for. This book is really trying to lay out the positive vision for the body, the human body, uh, and the body as, a, as an icon or a pointer to the, the, uh, you know, the, the resurrection, the incarnation, the trinity. I go, the whole book really goes through and shows how God has designed the body as a pointer to spiritual realities. And so the book really does provide, I think, hopefully a positive vision for why we think uh, practices like gender reassignment are, are a very troubling trend for our society. And so this this book lays out that case.
1: Why do you think that we've really missed this idea? I mean, we've talked about what we're for, and I know in the book, you talk about being in a post-Christian culture. And that's one of the things that we talk a lot about in on this show is that our cultures shift. And while there are pockets of Christendom um, definitely in the West that we see, and people can operate within that for a sphere, but if you're engaging with the greater Western society as it started to change, we have to, to, to learn how to engage that, and we need to have a proper theology of the body, something that the church has not largely done in the West very well, traditionally. Why do you think that is? Why do we have such a hard time having such a, a, a view or a proper theology of our bodies? It's a great question.
0: I, you know if you look back at the early church, uh, the first two, three centuries, Gnosticism was the biggest challenge they faced and Gnosticism was a, a, a view of the body which denigrated the body and basically said what really matters is the real you inside of you. you know that you know you're a, you could be a literally a man trapped in a, another body or a spirit the true spirit inside of you. All the things we hear today were very much a part of the early church's challenge and so, they, the New Testament is born out of that context, but then it became uh, the, ch- the church prevailed over that. And essentially, you've had a very positive, robust view of the body throughout most of Western civilization. So we've just basically forgotten that this problem could reemerge. We didn't think it could reemerge. And we basically have a neo Gnosticism reemerging today in the church and in the culture. And as the Christian you know, uh, worldview has receded, that has been replaced by non-Christian worldviews. And one of those is a new form of Gnosticism. So we're having to relearn what the church had already learned, unfortunately, in the past. This is not a new issue. Mm-hmm. It's just an issue we had to revisit and to recapture. And the church basically always forgets yesterday's battles. We only think about the battles that we have. And so, unfortunately, we're going to have to go back and do our homework and uh, think about why did why did John say, you know, we, we have seen him with our eyes. We've touched him. Our, our hands have handled because John and if anyone is not uh, does not believe that Jesus has come in the flesh, he's the Antichrist. I and mean, John really, I mean, it's bold language.
1: Yeah, he goes because after. Paul him.
0: was saying, if if this is just a Greek idea, if this is just a philosophy, then this is not the Christian gospel. It's about something that happened in the flesh, and therefore the flesh must be trustworthy and must be, um, you know, the Christian gospel has always said that the body is trustworthy, the heart is deceitful. And the culture, of course, has flipped that and said, the uh, you know the body is is completely untrustworthy, but you can always trust your heart, and uh, that's the thing that church has to readdress today.
1: It, it seems like what we've seen and I in a conversation with uh, Nancy Piercy a while back, and we were talking about the difference between hardware and software. And we have the, the hardware, and usually you used to want to make the software fit the hardware, but now we're trying to get the hardware to fit the software. I mean, we talk about Gnosticism, and a lot of people then kind of tune out. They don't really know what Gnosticism is. I mean, they hear the term, we we say Gnosis, knowledge, you know, that's where you get back to the root of it. But let's talk here for a moment, just to draw this out, to really bring people into this. I mean, we know what it is historically, and you might want to give a, just a brief definition, but then draw that out in how it is affecting us in our understanding in the here and now.
0: Yeah, great question. This, this is a, uh, there was a lot of... Um, mystical movements, special knowledge movements in the early church and they were, they were around that time. And so one of these uh, is kind of called collectively Gnosticism, but it's actually, this is not a movement, like we would say Christianity like is a movement. Right. This is actually multiple movements, which are collectively called Gnosticism. And the one thing <laughs> we hadn't had in, uh, in common, these mystery movements, was they believed that God could not create the world because the world would sully God. It would make him, uh, Mm. he was above all of that. And so he had to create some space between God and the world, these so-called demiurges or some kind of separate being between God. And so there was not a real strong doctrine of creation. So one thing the Jews had was, of course, a very powerful doctrine of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so you have this direct sense that God fashioned and made the world. Well, the Gnostics didn't accept that. They didn't believe that. And so therefore they didn't have a very, this whole thing is really based in a, a weak view of creation. Mm. So once you lose your view of creation, then of course you lose your, your own view of yourself as a, as a, as a body. So they said, going back to, you know, Plato, et cetera, they're saying, well, the real the real vibrancy of a person is not the body, but the spirit within the body. You know, the, the real you is not your body, it's you. And the, the Jewish worldview and the Christian worldview, along with that, believed in the connectivity between the body and the spirit. That These are one. These are not separate things. We don't denigrate the body. So the early church was fighting this a lot. And it became... Uh, Ongoing challenge. It really comes down to a weak view of creation. The problem is, if you're weak view of creation, it immediately follows on that you can't have a strong view of the incarnation, Mm -hmm. which is the real main point that the church had to fight. Because if the incarnation is not trustworthy, if God could not come in the flesh, then you have a real problem because the gospel Mm -hmm. is predicated on that fact. So you don't have a trustworthy creation, you don't have a trustworthy incarnation. And so that became really the, uh, the nexus around which the whole thing uh, surrounded. Then today, of course, now for at least 50 years, we've lost a strong doctrine of creation in our culture that God created the world. So it only follows, in due course of time, we lose a doctrine of the body. And so mm-hmm. this is really a re-emergence of the same basic ideas that floated around for several centuries in the early
1: church because we're talking about Gnosticism and again, people are still trying to figure out this bridge between Gnosticism back then, but back then they're saying the body didn't matter. That's what we're saying is that the view was the body didn't matter and that affected our understanding of the incarnation because if the body didn't matter, I mean, Jesus didn't come in the flesh, but he did. We know that he did. He ate. I mean, John makes special emphasis on that, that he ate, that he said, touch me, interact with me. And we see then that there's this unification then or understanding of the incarnation, as you just mentioned. And then today, though, people are saying that I'm not my body. I'm not my gender. I'm not my my. I, I'm not what my biology dictates that I am. It's what I feel on the inside. Right. And then, so so we 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 hear that going on everywhere today, and we see it all over our culture. So your idea is is we have to then recover an understanding of creation that it is good that God made us as created, gendered beings. Right. Exactly.
0: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And then in that, there's a purpose.
0: Yeah, I believe that it's very important to see that uh, our bodies are actually uh, designed to point to spiritual mysteries. I, I use the word icon, but icon just means a, a window into something spiritual. So if you, if you actually take an icon, uh, the icons were designed so that you are always focus your eye on, you know, it would always direct the eye directed to your own eyes. And so it's meant to be not a picture, like a just a painting, but a window to a spiritual reality. But you could just mm. say, you know, it's a pointer, but a spiritual pointer. But the idea is that your body is a pointer to the incarnation. Mm. You know, we all know that the husband and wife is a pointer to Christ in the church. Right, right. Uh, we all know that childbearing, to have father, mother, child, is a pointer to the Trinity, the, the communion of the Trinity is meant to be mirrored in the community of the family, all of these things. So once you destroy um, the, the body, once you destroy marriage, the fruitfulness of marriage uh, and childbearing, all those things, you lose that which they point to, the spiritual mm. mysteries. And so John Paul II uh, began to lecture on this pretty pretty strongly back in his, uh, in his papacy in the 80s. And it was very influential throughout the Roman Catholic world, but it was not really brought very clearly into the Protestant world until a man named Christopher West mm-hmm. began to write books uh, really directed to the Protestant world and open up a lot of new scholarship. I mean, Nancy Piercy, you mentioned her. A lot mm-hmm. of us were writing on this theme, and we owe a lot to the Roman Catholic work on this area that's been going on. And we're trying to now put it kind of in our own terms, our own ways. About how um, what it means to to embody the gospel and not just preach it, but actually see that we embody it in our daily lives.
1: Where, where do you think that understanding went awry? Because I, I I I see the church today, the modern Western evangelical church, it's very pragmatic. Um, and it's very business oriented, although we talk about Jesus, but it's more of you follow Christ, you you, you surrender your life to him, which is awesome. But there's not a, a, a theology of how this affects or permeates different aspects of our lives. And that's what you're calling the church back to in a form of catechism. And you talk about that in the book of, of catechesis, of instructing people. Uh, how can the church then grasp onto this? So I have two parts to this. Where did the church go awry, and how basically can we recapture this idea?
0: That we could definitely recapture it. The, yeah, the, the problem is that the church quit catechizing new members into, you know, mm-hmm. disciple them into the faith. That's in the basic problem. So, in, in my world, the Western world, we call this the uh, the first half of the gospel and the second half of the gospel. Uh, the first half of the gospel being justification second half being sanctification and, and growth and suppleship. And I think, unfortunately, in the modern period, there's been such an emphasis on lowering the bar and making the gospel simple, reducing it to very, uh, you know, kind of bite-sized pieces. You could actually go into many of the kind of big box churches today, and what you're actually hearing is not a message of salvation, but a message of justification. Mm. Now, praise God for that. We're not against that, but the point is, you can't confuse justification with, sancti- uh, with salvation, because salvation is a much larger transformational project that God's involved in with us. And so part of our concern is that we have not really passed on the faith well. Uh, we weren't, aren't training our children well. And it used to be that for a while we survived on kind of cultural cues where it mm-hmm. was a kind of a cultural Christianity where certain things were passed on through the culture. But that's obviously now evaporated. So we're left essentially with a church that's uncatechized. Mm. That's a serious problem. And no church can survive that. No church can survive that because the culture is doing a lot of catechesis day in and day out. So if you think about the the full force of cultural formation is very powerful in this culture. So to counteract that, we need more than a 20 minute sermon on Sunday morning. We need some more serious. uh, So what we're trying to do is is, and I have another book coming out this year on catechesis, which lays out kind of the whole vision. But the church has to understand. In the early church, they had two phases of it. One phase was the uh, during Advent, the whole period before um, before the the uh, I'm, sorry, but, I'm sorry, before Lent, before Easter. During Lent, they would go through instruction. You become a Christian, baptized at Easter, and then another phase. Where you learn what it's like to be a member of the church, hmm. called mystagogi, which went all the way to Pentecost. So the church actually had two phases of instruction for everybody: one phase before you became a Christian, justification; one phase as you received the Spirit and grew in your faith. And all that's pretty much evaporated into very either nothing or very short kinds of things because we've moved to this kind of user-friendly. Uh, ask no questions, make it simple, Um, kind of Christianity, which is not reproducible in the long run.
1: Is that just an American gospel?
0: Well, unfortunately, this is a global challenge. It's not simply an American problem. Uh, This has been a problem around the world. Now, it's true, some churches have stronger commitment to catechesis than others, but uh, this is really kind of, it's not really an American gospel so much as it is as a of a shallow gospel that is taking one part of the gospel, making that the whole thing, yeah, and baptizing that, and that's unfortunately that happens in all across Africa, across from Asia, happens all over the world.
1: So how does a the rediscovery then of this doctrine of the body, and you're you're really calling for a rediscovery of the doctrine of creation itself? But let's let's set it aside here as a under that umbrella uh, of the doctrine of creation, but. How does the rediscovery of this grow an understanding of who Christ is? I can hear a lot of pastors right now saying, you don't know my people. They're not going to sit around for this. They're so busy. We can barely get them on a Sunday morning anymore. This is extra. This is superfluous. This is just, this is more on than what I need. It's great if we get to it, but I just don't see that being a part of it. What would you say to that? mentality and mindset
0: well i'll I'll say that in time uh, we will see more of a hunger for it because as the church as the culture crunches down people were going to uh, want to learn and know more about their faith and so we're seeing this in many of our churches that are in uh, highly contested areas where the culture and this is both true in india as well as here we we do see a, a, a growing hunger for learning and growth in the gospel so the idea that we should uh, assume that people really can't be bothered. People have a lot of discretionary time, a lot of discretionary time. And the church's problem is that we're not willing to ask for that time. We should have the boldness to ask. But that being said, we have to also, and this is to the pastor's point, we sometimes think that everything has to be reduced to programmatic activity in the church where you you come out at a certain day or night or whatever to do things. And a lot of the good gospel work can happen in organic ways in the midst of life itself. And so there's a lot of ways we can help understand how growth can happen in ways that accommodate, you know, our busy lives, etc. But I do think we should ask for more. We also should be more creative.
1: We're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. The most important Bible translation is the one you read. At Apollos Watered, we use several different translations when we're studying, preaching, or teaching. But again and again, we keep coming back to the New Living Translation, the NLT. That's why we are excited to partner with them. We are united in the belief that understanding the Bible changes everything. Because if you can't understand it, then you won't read it. We want you to know the God of the Bible, to water your faith so that you will water your world. That's why we recommend getting an NLT. It's the Bible in the language we speak. It's not foreign or complicated, but up close and personal. To save some money, go to Tyndale.com. Use the promo code NLTBibles. It will give you 15% off. There's an NLT for everyone, from kids to adults, devotional Bibles, study Bibles, and so much more. Get one today because understanding the Bible changes everything. And the NLT is the Bible you can understand. And we're back. In this next part of the conversation, we transition away from the book, but only a little. While the book is talking about the body, there are many different subjects that fall under the umbrella of the body. Part of that is an understanding of time. Rest. How we go about our lives. What do we value? What are we showing by our bodies and how we live? Now, that's all under an understanding of the body, because if we don't believe that our body needs rest, then we won't rest. If we believe that we're machines, if we believe that we're just there to get more done and we become so regimented and then we become worn out because really we weren't designed to be that way. We were designed to need rest. And so we, we talk a bit about that. And in doing so, our conversation transitions away from an understanding of the body in regards to sexuality. And we start talking about time and really getting into how we are living and how our culture is shaping us. You know, there's a lot of conversation today about the world catechizing or evangelizing us catech catechesis just simply means training and he's going to use that term how do we catechize how do we train our people to think to know to follow jesus and we are all being catechized by something and our world is catechizing us. In, in many ways, it's communicating meaning each and every day, even when we don't realize it. It's in the shows we watch, it's in the busyness we feel, it's in the values that we espouse and that we fight for. It's in the pressure and in the stress that comes upon our bodies. And all of that has been meaning that has been communicated to us through our families, through our friends, through our schools, through our media. We are being catechized each and every day. Day, But in our society, and especially within the modern Western church, we have tried to boil it down to make it the the lowest common denominator in order to get people in the door to get them saved. At least that's what we tell ourselves. But in doing so, we actually offer a very anemic idea of what salvation really is. And that has disastrous effects as we go on. That's why this conversation is so important. If we don't have a proper understanding of the body and our human limitations, then we won't understand a need for rest, a need for thinking, and a need for pulling away to find a different rhythm with God. It's not just about the sexual sphere. It's not just about gender reassignment or eating disorders or sexual issues. It has such a greater effect than we... Than we often realize, and we're going to be talking about that. And then he's going to get pretty personal and how he has taken time to really go deeper with God because the world is hungering for a deeper knowledge and experience with him. Happy listening. How do we then recapture that mentality in our churches because you're right this creation idea does to me permeate everything and it is an uh, antithesis to the culture or an antidote to the 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 world that seems to be coming in everywhere we turn i mean it's it's busyness its idea of of time its idea of how we view relationships the the transient value uh or i think it was saint benedict that called it the the gyro vagues those are in and out all the time and we can't find any depth of relationship you're saying it, it seems that you're saying is that i'm calling for a depth to take root to get to know, I mean, rediscover who God is, rediscover who we are as created individuals, and then that will permeate every relationship that we have, which is itself an understanding or an outworking of what the gospel is. Now elaborate on that. I mean, do you agree? Do you disagree? Or I'm only getting a a smidge of it.
0: No, it's a good, a good point. I think we have to, um, you know, we have to assess what do we really value? What do we really want to do with our lives and how we want to form our lives? And I know in my own life, uh, I'm the president. My life is completely packed um, from stem to stern. When I came to Asbury, uh, I had the spirituality of a, of a professor from Gordon-Conwell. And when I got h- here, I realized early on that I was not spiritually equipped to handle the responsibilities and the decisions and all that I had to face and just the endless issues that are before me. And uh, and yet my time is—I mean—I'm I, traveling every weekend. I'm speaking all over the country. It's very difficult to work it out. And so my wife and I uh, realized at some point I either had to leave the position and just give it up and say, so, you know, I got to go back to what I know, which is teaching in the classroom, or I have to have go to a deeper place in the Lord.
1: Mm.
0: So I had—I would say—if you looked at my schedule, you would say I have no discretionary time. How can I make it happen? But what I found was my wife and I said, this has been 2012, I came in 2009. This was in 2012, we decided to carve out an hour a day, an extra hour a day on top of everything else to spend time completely in prayer and in the Psalms every Mm. day, the two of us together. And so we said, let's do this for 150 days and just see what happens after 150 days. So we did that. That started in 2012, and we have continued that to this very present day, including this morning. Wow. What I found was, despite, I mean, if I'm traveling, I might be in India or whatever, we, we still do it over the phone even, or Skype or whatever. Wow. We do it. It doesn't matter where I am, what I'm doing, in an airplane, you know, in the, in the uh, airport or whatever, we do it. And I found that uh, I've been so immersed in the, in the Psalms the last, since 2012 that it's become a part of who I am in terms of how I relate to the world, understand things. This was like one of the most formational, I don't, I don't get into all this, but since you asked, but you know, these this is awesome. This is awesome. for My life. And so I, I had been like a lot of Christians. I'd become a Christian early on. i had gone through kind of the normal kind of growth spurt you have, but then I went through years of just kind of like, almost flat. I wasn't, I didn't know I was growing. I was just simply maintaining my faith. And suddenly I found myself in a a growth period again, like I haven't had since I was a young Christian. It was very, very powerful for me. And it taught me that if we are hungry enough to really want to be formed by the gospel, the Lord will give us space and show us space in our lives to do it. And we 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 found that true in our lives. And my life, if anything, the last eight years has gotten for ten years now since I started this, gotten more complicated. And yet um, we are just persistently determined to keep growing in our faith. That's mm-hmm. the that's the church that we have to see reborn, and is that determination to stay before God because this culture desperately needs authentic Christianity. Is truly transformed and they are not impressed by shallow Christianity. They're not Mm -hmm. impressed by all this. And we will never change the world by this because we ourselves aren't changed. Mm. But if we're changed and we can show radical forgiveness, radical love, radical acceptance, yet also ourselves radically transformed, it's a powerful thing. And I I believe I still believe in it. I believe it's very possible. And I don't believe the world can ever spin too
1: fast for us to walk with the Lord that's good. Let's pass the plate. (laughs) That was good. I'm serious. I mean, I make a joke, but that is where people live. And that's actually what we are about at Apollos watered, because we see how the culture is just creeping in and it's come down to this justification only Christianity where it's the surface lever level. And actually we've identified what we call an, not a new form of discipleship. We just put a name on it. We call it missio holistic. Hmm. Where it is, it's a holistic understanding of the body, the, the mind, all of those aspects, and even the spiritual realm, which we as Westerners don't do well with. And we know that our global brothers and sisters understand that world much better than we do. But we're saying, looking at discipleship and also the lens, putting the lens of culture on it. And it's all used to accomplish the mission of Christ. And that's what we're, we're trying to articulate is how do we help people follow Christ in the middle of an ever-changing, postmodern, pluralistic, whatever-ism you want to throw on it world? It's changing all around us. And it's so encouraging to me to hear you guys going back and saying, this is what we're going to do. We're going to try this. And you, you said for 150 days, I'm assuming because of 150 Psalms. Is that right. how you did it? So Psalm 119 probably took you guys a while. I mean, 176 (laughs) verses. Come on. It it was seven days. It was seven days. Yeah. We we didn't think smart enough to say we should have 157
0: days. I think we've now been through the Psalter. uh, I think it's now in our 17th trip through, something like that.
1: Wow.
0: The Psalm 101, for example. But yes, uh, we we do that every single day.
1: An hour. You do it for an hour.
0: We do it for at least an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, but at least an hour every day.
1: So what, so what, so, what does that mean when you do it an hour? Are you guys reading to each other? What are you doing? Uh, what we
0: did, we we took all the psalms and we um, we put them into metrical form. Um, of course, metrical psalters have been done all over the world. We wanted to actually make one that would be available to anybody. So we spent two years and took turned every psalm into regular meters so it could be sung to to tunes you know that we all know and love. Mm. so what we do is and by the way those are all available on psalms.seedbed.com which is uh the site that are on but uh you can go and listen to the tunes you can read through the songs but we pray we actually sing the psalm and then we talk about it and we reflect on it and what's amazing is the psalms are like you know bring it's basically 150 life journeys that puts out there before you and those 150 journeys some short some long as you said um they will uh it will give you basically the catechesis for 150 you know potential situations in all of life. I found every hmm. psalm fits something I'm dealing with. Hmm. And uh, this is a joke on the side though. When my wife and I were doing this, the uh, the medical psalters, it took a lot of work. It took two years of work. And so we would, I would do a psalm, she would do a psalm. And so at one point I said to us, "Sweetheart, I tell you what, if you do psalm, I'll do psalm 117. You do psalm." What's he so, got, three verses? <laughs> so if, if we did get our Psalter and get Psalm 19. My, my wife gets credit for that. God bless her. It Anyway, but we, uh, we sing, then we talk, then we pray to the Psalm verse by verse. And uh, it's very, very formative. And by the way, we have started um, not just the Psalm singing, but Asbury started uh, these small group like Wesley. Did. We're re- redoing the band meetings and the class meetings mm. all over the country, all over the world. So we have thousands, thousands, Travis, of these band meetings right now taking place over the world through our, our new room conference, our seed bed. And so what you have is people that are, these are pastors that are, you know, they're very busy, they had no, and yet they're coming together in these bands. And what we found was amazingly that the bands actually work even better under COVID uh, requirements because if you have a if you're band with somebody and you live in Georgia and your band partner lives in California, in some ways you're more vulnerable to that person in California because they don't know your world that much. And, and right. part of the band you ask people, you know, how is it with your soul? You know, what un- unconfessed sins are in your life? Mm. You know, it's this serious conversation about your life, yeah. your inner life. And people are finding in these bands the spiritual permission slip to share openly what they're dealing with, what their problems are, and what their, you know, issues are. And you, you can imagine what they might be all over the map. And they're finding spiritual healing. And mm-hmm. we we began to have this conference bringing people together. And I never forget one time we were at a, um, we call these new room conferences. They're always in the fall. And we had probably 3,000 pastors there. And these are pastors that all have very you know, good solid ministries. I never forget one night, a Thursday night, we had nothing planned. It was restaurant night. It's back to my point about priorities and time. This was the restaurant night where everybody goes out Thursday night and just, you know, goes to a restaurant and just relax a little bit. So the leader of our of our New Room Conference, J.D. Waltz, said, I feel the Lord is just calling us to spend Thursday night in prayer. Come back and pray. It's not on our schedule. You don't have to do it. You know, But if you, if you feel led, I think God's calling us to come back and pray. So we went out, got a quick bite to eat, came back, and I walked in the auditorium. I was shocked. It was absolutely packed. Everyone nice. came back. It was packed. I couldn't see any empty seats. And the Lord moved, and I, I never seen pastors, just ranks and ranks of pastors on their face before God, weeping, confessing their sins, being transformed. And at the end of that whole thing, I still get letters to this day about that night where pastors say, that night... My ministry was saved. Mm. That night I was brought to a new place. And, it, you know, they, of course, would, they probably needed to have a night off and they needed to have, you know, go to the restaurants, all that. But they realized there was something deeper they needed that mm. brought even deeper refreshment. And I really believe that if we call our pastors to really, really get serious, they'll respond. And they will deal with the sin in their lives, and they will they will find themselves being sanctified and cleansed and filled with the Spirit. And um, I hope all these things are okay in your show talking about things like this. But we we believe in people being filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered, yeah. and the transformative power of that is very very uh, important. It's not just for Pentecostals; it's for everybody. <laughs>
1: right? No, I agree. I agree. I totally agree. And, and I want to thank you. I know your time is limited, and you got to run because you already said your schedule is brief packed out uh i want to thank you for coming on the show would you let people know how they can follow you or know more about what you're doing
0: well i have a blog a just simple blog timothytenant.com and so i put my blogs out there and my sermons are out there and things i've written or whatever whatever i do is put on that blog site they are welcome to follow me there uh, but most importantly um I always say that the purpose of Asbury Seminary is to grow fruit on other people's trees. You know, mm. we, we don't, we don't do anything. We're producing people that hopefully go out and bear fruit. And I think the best way to um, test any ministry is to not look at the ministry itself, but look at the effects of it around the world. I know you're doing that for your podcast, mm. Travis, and think about the possibilities if you someday will know, um, what will happen in your life through the people that you touch? Mm-hmm. And when I left Gordon-Conwell, I was in a spiritual crisis because I love three things. I love teaching. I loved uh, having sabbaticals and writing books. <laughs> <things like that. laughs> and I realized that all that was going to come to a stop, basically, by coming to Asbury, which it basically did. A lot of my stuff went to a, came to a halt. But the Lord spoke to me and said, you know, the greatest impact of your life is not what you do but what you enable others to do.
1: Mm.
0: And I think that that to me is really what it's all about is uh, it's not about necessarily what I write or what I say, but really if you look at the fruit of our ministries, uh, people that come through our lives, what they do when they go out and graduate or or go out from our churches. That's the real test, real fruit of our ministries. And that's what I pray for all of us.
1: Mm. That's a good word. Well, I just want to thank you again for coming on, Apollos Watered. Thank you for coming on the show.
0: God bless you. Bye-bye.
1: This is such an important conversation because it affects so many different areas of our lives. If we fail to have a proper biblical understanding of the body, then we open ourselves up to serious error, which is what we see going on in many parts of the church today where people think that it's okay to, to be gay, or it's okay to have sex before you're married, or it's okay to do whatever, fill in the blank. We have such an improper understanding of the body. In fact, it, it's amazing to me how cyclical things are, because we've really become Gnostics all over again. And that was a heresy that the early church had to battle Time and time again, it it had infiltrated so many different parts of the church. In fact, in the gospel of John, John takes great pain and, and not only in his gospel, but in his letters to address the various issues that Gnosticism was propagating, which really comes down to this. The body does matter to them. It didn't. But to John, it did. Because if it didn't, then what was the purpose of the resurrection? It's not just some fanciful tale, but it's a true event. And John took great pains to record details for us to show it. There is a reason that John tells us of Jesus encountering Thomas after his resurrection. Thomas, remember, refused to believe. He hadn't been there when Jesus had previously appeared to the disciples. And after he heard their testimony about Jesus's resurrection and them seeing him, he said, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Then John records Jesus appearing to him saying, here, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer believe. I mean, John goes so far as to record Jesus making breakfast for the disciples, which is why he, is, he, he does that to show that Jesus is not simply just some spirit or apparition, but a real fleshly body. The early church understood that we needed to have a proper understanding of the body, and it's no less true in our day. Many Christians, including many pastors, have a great misunderstanding of the body and its place in Christian theology. Such anemic teaching leads us to a place where a person says, I am not my body. That's where it comes down to. Or, my genitals don't make me who I am. We are souls and bodies united. Our bodies may die, but we will receive a resurrected body at the resurrection of the dead. And our genitals are simply a way of revealing who we are as gendered beings embodied in flesh. We experience the world as men and women. We also have to teach a proper understanding of the body. We have to teach our children that the bodies, that the bodies we have are good things and then model it. I mean, there's a reason why we have so many different eating disorders today. It's because we have an improper understanding of the body. We have to take care of our bodies, getting enough rest, exercise, eating right, and modeling the sexuality that God has designed our bodies for. One man and one woman united in a covenant of matrimony. We are to treat our bodies well, because it is through them that we experience the world and glorify God. I would recommend checking out Tim's book, For the Body, Recovering a Theology of Gender, Sexuality, in the Human Body. It gives a great theological underpinning to why we need to have a proper theology of the body. And if this episode has helped you, would you consider partnering with us? We are in our Ready to Fly giving campaign where we are looking for 80 new giving partners before the end of the year. And here is an incentive. For those new partners, we will be giving you an Apollos Water Drop logo t-shirt Sign up and someone from our team will be in contact with you to get your information. And for those who have already partnered with us, again, a big thank you, because we wouldn't be where we are today without you. And we would also love to have more people grow from connecting with Apollo Watered. If you've been impacted, impacted by while listening to a podcast, would you screen a shot of the podcast, text it to a friend or share it on stories or simply share it directly from your podcast flat platform? Subscribing and leaving a review also puts it out there to more people. Remember, there's content on Instagram, Facebook, and our website that is shareable. Together, let's leave a trickle of truth and encouragement around the world and watch people grow. And again, much thanks to our Apollos Water team. Kevin, Melissa, Donovan, Eliana, Rebecca, and Audrey. Water your faith. Water your world. This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollo's Watered. Stay watered, everybody.